Get ready for conflicts where movie reviews collide. Welcome back to another episode of Conflicts the Podcast. It is me, Laura Slash Lulu, joined today by Dad Joke Extraordinaire himself. Say hey, Rich. Hey, Rich. Never let me down. Never let me down. <laughs> hey, did you hear about the whole Tim Gunn Guardians of the Galaxy Easter egg tweet thing that happened like last week? Oh, I, I guess I'm not aware of this. What's okay. The, what's the Easter egg? So there's this. Uh, there's this YouTube channel. It's called the New Rockstars. I watch their videos all the time. They do like deep dive breakdowns, MCU, all kinds of nerd related stuff. And um, the the guy that creates those will tweet a lot. And Tim Gunn will tweet back and forth with him. And he loves to do Easter egg videos. And so Tim Gunn like challenge him. He's like, there's a huge Guardians of the Galaxy Easter egg that nobody's found. And oh. so he like sets off on this personal mission to find and there's another YouTuber involved in stuff and like Tim Gunn will retweet them and stuff like that. And I think it was last week or week before last, he released a new Guardians of the Galaxy theory video and Tim Gunn retweeted it and said, you found one. And oh, nice. there were two theories in there. So he didn't say which, which theory one? was right. One of them was that Peter's mom Picked, handpicked all of the songs and that the songs, there's meaning in the songs on the awesome mix. So they're not just good songs. They're not just good songs. She picked them for a reason. Which I totally think it's that because the second I saw that video, I was like, dude, I've assumed that from the beginning. I never thought they were random songs because the lady knew she was dying. And then the other one is that, oh, crap, I'm going to forget the name of it now, that she's the, oh, there's something comic book related that's eluding me. She's like a space angel kind of thing. There's a title for it, and that's the other one that was the theory the, in the Oh, that the mother is. Yeah, that oh, the mother that is. she's a celestial? Yeah, something like that. And I was like, I don't think that's right. Yeah, the music one seems to be a little yeah. more in line. Uh, it seems very Tim Gunn as well. It does. It totally seems so Tim Gunn. And uh, yeah, it was highly entertaining. Also, I think that guy hyperventilated when Tim Gunn retweeted him, and he was like, I mean, I'm I would. I would too. I mean, you give me like a C-list actor, and they retweet something from me. And I would probably I have just, deceased. I would I would fanboy out on anybody. <laughs> I would become their their best friend and watch everything they ever did. I'm really excited for the next Guardians movie whenever it eventually comes out because we don't even know when Black Widow's coming out now and yeah. everything's gotten pushed back in Phase Four because some things can't come out till other things come out. Whatever. Uh, yeah, they can't film right now, so it's really just shut down a lot of productions. You know, we'll get back on track eventually. So we still have these things to look forward to. We just got a little time in between, which personally for me, I've been enjoying it because it gives me an opportunity to go back and fill in some things I always miss. I have forgotten so much from the MCU. I've seen every MCU film and there are some of them. I'm like, they're talking about something that I know I've seen that movie and I know I should remember this, but I don't remember any of it. Um, you know, I remember most of it, I think. Um, Except the Thor movies. I don't apologize for not remembering those. I don't like them. Really? Thor Ragnarok? You Ragnarok's like good. Yeah. The other two, I'm like, I don't, I think I slept through the second one. I have become a huge fan of Taika Waititi. Yeah. Uh, he's just great. 
So, uh, you know, we talked about the, uh, um, did we do the Mandalorian? Yeah, we did yeah. the Mandalorian. Sorry. Uh, so we talked about the Mandalorian, you know, he was one of the directors, mm-hmm. uh, and voice got, guy that got brought in. He did do voices. Yeah. Uh, which he does voice in Thor Ragnarok as mm-hmm. well. Uh, so I've just become a really big fan of everything he does, honestly. Same. Yeah. I like that guy. Me too. Also his name. That's just a badass name. Taika Waititi. Uh, like you don't mess with somebody called Taika Waititi. You know, I have to admit, uh, fortunately, I watched uh, a, a little behind-the-scenes thing the other day that had him in it, and I was really glad to find out that I was saying the name correctly. <laughs> I always just assumed. I went with the masses on that one. Yeah, I did too, and I'm like, I hope that's right, because, you know, there's some weird names out there these days. But hey, dear listener, guess what? Nothing we've just discussed has anything to do with the subject matter we're covering today, because that's how I roll. Woo-hoo. Today, we are talking about the movie Parasite. This movie came out October 5, 2019. It is a Korean language film that was completely shot, produced, created in South Korea. Uh, it stars, please forgive the pronunciation. I do not speak. Oh, I'm Korean. not even going to try. I'll let you try if you want, but Cho no Yo Jung and Kang Ho Song and is directed by Bong Jun Ho, who is also the writer. And you may know him. He did, also did Okja and Snowpiercer. Mm hmm are like previous works of his of note so i had some korean friends uh i say friends we weren't best of friends but we got along well they were in um in my in my class growing up the junior mm-hmm. high high school um one of the brothers was the other brother was uh, a year ahead of us but they're both korean and um you know that that's my only real connection is i understand how their naming system works because they had korean names and it was very interesting because they were both kwong Mm-hmm. So, you know, since they were in America, everybody called them Kwong, like I would call you. Because they anglicized the name. Exactly. You know, they think that is the first name, but in, you know, the, the Korean nomenclature, the Kwong is the family name. It's the surname. In most of Asia, the family name comes mm-hmm. first. Yeah, it's very common. They were Kwong Wang Wei and Kwong Wei Wong. And the, you know, they were, those were family names in one way or another. And, um, you know, but it confused a lot of people when you're, you know. Yeah. And, and let's face it, back then, junior high kids weren't exactly very uh, considerate yeah. <laughs> of establishing that. But they were cool guys, um, you know, so I, I remember them, for the most part, fairly fairly fondly. And, uh, you know, th- but that's my only real connection with Korea, other than having some historical knowledge in the back of my head. I have been to the nation of Korea. It is a very beautiful place. I am totally jealous. Yeah, with South Korea, not North Korea. Well, yeah. They're, nah, they're, not, they're, not, not been there. I've been to Seoul. There, there's, there's definitely that. It's very cloudy the entire time we were there. We were there for like six days. It's cloudy the whole time. It rained a lot in the movie. Yeah, it was very overcast. I uh, don't remember what time of year it was though. Um, I must confess something before we dive into this movie. Go for okay, it. so I suggested this movie because I really wanted to see it. However, I had a moment, and so as I mentioned, this is a Korean language film. It is called Parasite. There is another Korean language film (laughs) that got a lot of attention in 2019 that is a horror film Mm -hmm. that I don't remember off the top of my head what it is called. I transposed these. And when I turned this on the other day to to watch it, full unexpected a horror movie because it's called parasite i was expecting some sort of zombie apocalypse something mm-hmm. and the movie started and i was like this horror movie is funny and then i kept watching and i was like 
I'm wrong about this movie, aren't I? And so I paused it and went and watched the trailer and I was like, you dumbass. Yeah, if you just go into like Amazon and, and search Parasite, there's a surprising number of things that pop up. Yeah, and most of them are horror related. Totally watch like the first half hour of this movie thinking it's going to be a horror movie. So here's here's a life pro tip for people out there who watch things on, say, like Amazon Prime or things that exist on apps. We do everything on the Xbox. It's just an Xbox yeah. app. But the tip is to go online to figure out what you want to watch and then just put it in your wish list because most of those apps are terrible for trying to preview things or look at the information. Like you're, you're just looking at a basic image and then you have to try to go in it and the blurbs suck and watch it. Yeah. Go to your computer, pull out your laptop, the information is all right there conveniently on the page when you search it, and then just pop that son of a bitch in your wish, li wish list. I don't know why, I just unnecessarily <laughs> swore, but I That's did. That son of a bitch. Get that son of a bitch in your wish list and take a look at it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just so much easier. That's what we do. We'll queue things in our in our wish list, and then when you pop in, you just switch over and you grab the one. You know you have to write that. Pro tip. So it's so much easier to do it there than it is on any of the apps. That's a pro tip. Because, yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to give you guys a synopsis so you know that this is not a horror movie. There's no zombies. Are you sure? There's, There's no zombies. some horrific shit in this movie. It's Yes, but it's funny. <laughs> okay. Greed and class discrimination threaten the newly formed symbiotic relationship between the wealthy Park family and the destitute Kim clan. I kept it simple so nothing gets given away. Actually, I think <laughs> I stole that one. I don't think I wrote that one. I finished the movie and I was like, I'm tired. Welcome <laughs> I just to, Googled it. Welcome to Plagiarism, the podcast. Yeah, sorry, Google. <laughs> I write all the rest of those people. It's dedication and my words. It, okay. was, it was wonderful. As far as I'm concerned, those are your words. Now. Oh, see, Rich said they're my words, so that's what counts. Did you know that this is the first foreign language film to ever win Best Picture at the Oscars? I did know that. Most people know that. Yeah, no, I mean, this did very well uh, did. in the award circuit. It totally did. Also, there is a song. It's the first song to play during the credits that's called A Glass of Soju, which uh, soju is uh, alcohol in South Korea. But it's the first song that plays during the credits was written by the director slash writer and is performed by the actor who played Kevin. I did not know that until you mentioned that just before we aired. <laughs> <laughs> that That's a connection uh, that's new to me, but it's cool. I like it. And uh, the Kim House... So the poor people's house that was in an alleyway, the alleyway and the entire neighborhood were a set built to double as a water tank so they mm -hmm. could flood the whole thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to look at movies for me anymore and not think like production as it's going mm -hmm. on. But this movie basically takes place in two locations. It really does. Which were both sets. Uh, there's yeah. a few little scenes here and there, but for the most part, it takes place in two locations. So. Yeah. There's like the interior and exterior of the fancy house. And then there's the slum. And it was very simple. And I'm just going to dive right into my review, if that's cool yeah, with no, you. No, go for it, because okay. I, th I think mine's going to take a minute. That's totally <laughs> fine. I was so pleasantly surprised by this movie. I actually gave it an A-. minus Because as, okay. as I've established, I went in with some miscommunication <laughs> about what I was watching. So I had something totally different in mind. And it was unexpectedly hilarious. I enjoyed the social commentary. It was witty. It was fresh. It was unexpected. And I really liked it. Your face says you might disagree. 
Um, mine's going to be complicated. It's so, complicated. No, so no, no, go on, go on. Like, I'll, I'll, it's complicated. Like it's not you. It's me. <laughs> no, in many ways. Yeah, it, it, it really is. Um, but, but by all means, I mean, go ahead and go ahead and explain what it is that you liked about it. I, I really, I already used the word fresh, but I think that this was such an unexpected take on it where it went totally dark comedy but then it still had heart at the end. The only thing for me that kept it as a, at a minus as opposed to an A or a plus was that ultimately the end was a downer in a way that kind of kept the little person little. If you know what I mean, mm -hmm. it was it felt a little bit to me like it was saying the rich and elite will always be the rich and elite and the poor will always be the poor. And that's not my favorite message. And it was enough to knock like half a knock it down to a minus for me. But just the and the glimpse into Korean culture, I thought was so nice. And I loved it. And I thought it was so well written. What do you think about this, sir? OK, so I probably have never had more self-reflection on my opinion of a movie than this. Interesting. And it's not all good. So I've come about I, yourself or the film. Oh uh, yes. Okay. So I, I really did. I had, I don't want to say a moral crisis, but I, I definitely uh, had to do a lot of thinking about my opinion of this movie. So I, I'm, uh, let me just throw out my, here, here's what I'm going to, here's what I settle on. Okay. And then I'm going to tell you how I got there. Okay. I give this movie a C. Oh, damn. Here's what I found out. If you would have asked me eh, five minutes after this movie is over what I've given it, I probably would have been much lower. Okay. I did not like this movie as I got done watching it. Uh-huh. Had to think on it. I did. But as I started to try to uh, go from a gut reaction and an instinct and put that into words and something that made more sense, I realized that what I was doing as I went on that journey was exposing a ton of biases on my part. Oh. So then I kind of had to explore that from a mental standpoint and, yeah. and, the, and those biases. And I decided that as I, I gave this review, I'm, I'm just going to have to go with what it is. I don't want to make myself sound better than what I am. So I'm just going to throw out there the things that were problematic for me, whether they should have been or not. So mm -hmm. this is just, there's just going to be some honesty here and some of it may be a little ugly on my part. So I'm going to approach this one probably from a little bit easier way, but the first and the biggest one are the subtitles. Okay. Subtitles pull me out of the film almost to, uh, to a rule. Mm -hmm. It's a problem for me. So the fact that this is a Korean film made it problematic for me. Now that's a bias. I'm completely admitting this. Up front. So you watched a sub version, not a dubbed version. Yes. Okay. I, I and I, I I chose to do it that way because I I, I hate dubbing's even worse for me. Mm -hmm. That's it, it. Really is. I hate the dub. Unless it's an animated film, like a like a Miyazaki film or something like that. Yeah. I can't well, handle a dubbing either. Especially something where because you know the anime is a little easier or harder to see it in. Mm -hmm. But when their mouths clearly are not saying the things that you're hearing, there's like a cognitive dissonance, and it's that happens for me that completely destroys any sort of immersion possible now subtitles do that to me to a certain degree but less so so that that started making a bias for me um i have a bias against uh movies that uh the academy awards tend to like on principle or you just tend to not like them yourself 
tend to, but I realize that it's probably evolved into a bias mm-hmm. and not just it happens that way. So for me, films like this, especially as people are talking about it, because I I did not know much about this film until it started getting the the Oscar buzz. Mm-hmm. So I didn't actually get to watch it till sometime after that. Uh, so the Oscars were over. I knew it won, and you know, there's a lot of, of information about it out there in in the media. Yeah. So for me, when people take a film like this and give it the analysis that they've given it, I find a falsity in that in general. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily just this movie, but in general with what the the critics and the Academy they put on. To me, it's like that feeling where you're looking at a painting that everybody's talking about. Oh my goodness, this represents the blah de blah, and you're like, that's a spoon. Yeah. Where somebody else's artistic mm-hmm. interpretation gets blanketed mm-hmm. over it like their interpretation is the only correct interpretation. Exactly. Yeah. I think they put a lot of this on it. Now, don't get me wrong. I think this does explore this class deprivation or this disparity, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I understand that it does. But the way these people talk about it, like they have the one true meaning of what this is, I think cheapens what it is. I think it's okay for us to all take what we take from it. Yeah. And to say that, oh, all of this is wrapped up in it, and this means this, and that means that, I think there's a certain point where y'all are just adding a layer of bullshit onto things. Mm-hmm. And so that's definitely something that was in my mind as I was watching this movie. But I got to admit, that's still a bias. Yeah. It, it's still a bias that took something away from this movie for me. Because if I look at it, if I try to be somewhat objective, this movie had so many amazing things. I love the fact that it's a Korean film, and I hate the fact that it's a Korean film. Mm-hmm. Because I think there should be Korean films. This is only a Korean film in the aspect of that it relates to Korean subject matter. It takes place in Korea and has Korean actors. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. But at the same time, that means it has to be subtitled, and that takes something away for me. Mm-hmm. So there, once again, it's great. Now, if you look at this... Uh, you know, because you might think that a Korean film is going to have different production value, and this doesn't. This has all the production value of any blockbuster you've ever seen. Now we can look at things and say, hey, you know, they restricted it to just two sets. Um, you know, it's actually a fairly small cast. Well, movie overall. Breakfast Club is offset. Exactly. I think that that can be artistically appropriate, and in this case, I think mm-hmm. that it absolutely was because if you, it's one of those things you almost have to point out to people because you don't notice it. Yeah. Um, so I think and that that's that mark is, of a good story, in my opinion. It can be. I don't think that they have to, but I definitely can be. Uh, it's it's the point where you realize that the setting is just the backdrop and not the story. Yeah. So I realize that all of those things are true for me. That's why there's so much about this movie that I loved and hate. You know, there are the aspects of it that this did show this class disparity. It did show the the struggle of it. But at the same time, I think people re- are reading way too much into that. And I think what people have a tendency to do is kind of use that to kind of prop up their own arguments and own opinions on greater socio-political ideals. Oh, for sure. Now, I may not disagree with you, but I think then you're kind of co-opting this cause, this movie to your cause, and, well, that's just a huge turnoff for me. Mm-hmm. And so, once again, loved it and hated it. I love that it was there. You know, if you really want to get to the meat of things for me, you really need to to start discussing that, you know, okay, so the Parks were obviously a wealthy family, but I didn't really find them all that terrible. No, not at all. I mean, they they were obviously people who had a privilege and were accustomed to it, but I don't think they treated anybody super shitty. No, they didn't. I don't think they were horrible, awful people, but at the same time, the, the Kims did some pretty shitty stuff. Yeah. They got people fired who didn't deserve it. 
They manipulated other people to their own ends. They did some really horrible things. I could make an argument that they are the worst people. But clearly what the film was trying to show is that wealthy people are, are bad. So I, you know, I, I, I struggle with that, but now you can make the counter arguments that, well, the Kims were just trying to survive. They're doing what they could and they were looking out for themselves. But to me, they showed far more greed than the parks ever did. See, and I disagree that it shows, I think. <laughs> you have to think about it though, don't you? I do. It's well, hard I'm to, thinking of how to It's hard to put that argument correctly. together easily. I don't think that it vilified or glorified either side in my take on it. Um, fair enough. I like the fact that they did just kind of show it for what it was, but I felt like that's where it should have stayed. And unfortunately, the greater conversation has grown way beyond that, as opposed to it just is what it is. Yeah. You know, I, I liked it being a little morally ambiguous and messy. Mm-hmm. And it got messy. You're right. Because, you know, Mr. Park didn't die or sorry, he didn't deserve to die. Yeah. He did nothing to deserve that. And honestly, the the person that killed him probably really didn't have any particular reason to do so. Yeah. I mean, other than being like pushed to the brink by circumstance, not by him as an individual. Exactly. So when you put all that together for me, that's a C. But I realize that I'm adding in a ton of bias. I'm I'm adding in things that weren't in the movie, but have become a part of the conversation about the movie. Mm hmm. I just don't know any way to not have that there because it is there. So when I wrap all that together, I get a really ugly C, which may be appropriate because in many ways, that's what the movie was. Did you find it funny, though? I thought it was hysterical. Oh, there were definitely hilarious moments. I did like the the dark uh, comedic nature of it to where there were just these hilarious situations that shouldn't be. Yeah. I don't know how much how funny I found the, uh, the sex scene where they're all hiding <laughs> under the... I realize I have a weird sense of humor, but I'm cracking up over here. Um, you know, I'm I'm over there because I, I watch this movie with my wife, and I'm like, I'm ashamed to say I don't know if I, if you like your nipples rubbed clockwise or counterclockwise. <laughs> I thought that was such a bizarrely specific detail. And and of course, you know, my wife, she's also twisted. She turns to me, she's like, Yeah, but I'm not going to ask you to buy me drugs in bed. Um, <laughs> the math. So. You know, so we're obviously having fun with that 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 scene. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> and I, and I'm just waiting for the kids to be like, "I have an emergency. What? My parents are getting it on, and I can see it." <laughs> but you know, so I yeah, I did uh, definitely a lot of laughter. Now, here's something I will say because I I think it deserves to be said for the acting. Th- this is some phenomenal acting. Yeah. To the point where, as much as I don't like subtitles, there were times where I almost didn't need them because they did such a good job of conveying, conveying yeah. what they were trying to get across with the acting. So props to them, props to all of them, obviously, involved in, in doing that uh, to make it that elegant. But at the same time, y- you got to have the subtitles. Yeah. We are drastically different, and I am surprised <laughs> by that. But let's uh, let's look at the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I have a feeling that we'll find different things that we landed on. Okay, so for myself, for the good, I... <laughs> I'm laughing now just thinking about it. So right after the scene you were talking about on the couch where yes. mom and dad have fallen asleep, <laughs> and they finally get the text message that they can go, brother and sister, army crawl out real quick, and then dad gets halfway out and they wake up oh yeah and he's just prostrate 
straight on the floor, afraid to move. I cannot tell you how hard I laughed that the flashlights going around and mom and dad are on the walkie talkie and they're groggy. And he is just like face, like mashed his face into that floor so hard and not moving. And something about that dad being laid prostrate on the floor is the funniest thing in the world to me and that has to be my best moment of this whole movie because it was so damn funny you know uh, that that scene highlights kind of my greater point of where i hated and loved it because i laughed my ass off at all that whole sequence it's yeah. it's a hilarious sequence it's great but the before that happened i knew it was going to happen maybe not exactly that way yeah but i knew as they're having their party i'm like you know this family's going to come home unexpectedly in the middle oh, of, this, of course right? like that is a what you're doing is a terrible decision um, so it was in many ways tropey that I don't like and predictable, but then the scene itself, I'm, I'm laughing. I, I, th I think it's great. So it kind of highlights that loved it and hated it at the same time mm -hmm. aspect of it, uh, for me. But if I had to pick something that I thought was uh, probably the, the best, I really think that it was the way they took some very simple sets and made them so useful. Like oh, so, yeah. So, you know, these, these do take place in just two locations, but they do it in such a way that you do, you don't notice it. And I know that these are meant to be like, it's like the two towers. Yeah. They're, they're, they're meant to contrast each other. Upstairs, downstairs. And, yeah. And I, well, I know, and I know they did the very Hitchcockian uh, style with that. Where yeah. You, you, they use those, that up and down elevation to kind of give a, a bit of a greater meaning. But at the same time, they never put a spotlight on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's funny watching it as an American where they show this, you know, this yard that I'm sure for Korea is this amazing yard. And we look at it and say, well, that's kind of a dinky little spot now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, so for things like that, for me, I love how they contrasted that and showed what wealth means in another country. Mm -hmm. Because here, that house isn't that great. I mean, it's pretty good, but, you know, my yard's that big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I... I probably have a nicer yard than they do. <laughs> so, but you know, at the same time, that, that kind of highlights that there are those differences. So I really like the way that those, those sets became a character in a way that was unnoticeable, but very important. Yeah, agreed. I think that the sets were amazing and the subtlety of what they brought to the story. Cause I'm, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff where it's like, this adds another element of, you know, the rich people being elevated and the poor people living in the half mm -hmm. basement and, things like that anything that builds the world in subtle ways like that i love that kind of crap i eat that shit up speaking of crap <laughs> yep. the other scene that i laughed at is when she's sitting on the toilet that's spewing out oh my God. sewage <laughs> and i'm laughing at it thinking i should not be laughing at this moment and i that's, am that's my ugly is the just the horrible moment of her sitting on the shitter smoking uh, and there's it's trying to explode everywhere and she's just like has no fucks left to give and it's just like i'm just gonna blaze this one up it's fine it really is and it's a wonderful tie back to the opening scene where they're back there trying to get their wi-fi yeah trying to get their phones to work in the crapper so that's your worst you want to that's that's my worst because it was so gross and so funny at the same time uh as far as the bad i have none i literally really? wrote the word none for the bad because there was nothing that i was like this sticks out to me as a bad thing shit exploding from a toilet stuck out to me as an ugly thing so you know me, I have to have weird hangups. So always, I had one very specific weird hangup about this movie. Okay, and then that's going to be my worst: the undetected bunker. Ah, but here's why I don't buy that at all. So 
this bunker is built, and I'm calling it a bunker. I guess it's it's what you know, sub basement. Yeah, it's some sort of sub basement, but it has power and plumbing. The plumbing I can buy a little bit more, but not only does this place have its own power, but it has switches that controls lighting Up in the above. main house, right? Now maybe this is because I, you know, I I I am an electrician. I have my electrician's license, and I've done a fair amount of work, and I've done a fair amount of work in high end houses. When I was doing that professionally, that's where I worked was. Uh, fairly high-end stuff. So I've dealt with rich people and their electrical work. And there is no way in hell they're going to be okay with a blinking light that long. They're going to call somebody in and demand that you figure it out and fix it. And there's no way in hell that a halfway competent electrician isn't going to come in there and be like, why is there an extra set of switches somewhere for this light? And start trying to figure that out and where it's going on and saying, well, that's the problem. And realize that there's power that goes somewhere in this house Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had similar experiences, not with bunkers, but things that are wired really strange and odd and found, you know, that walls have been added. And I found an electrical panel that was buried behind another wall that nobody knew about, all because there was a problem. And these rich people are like, we don't understand. Well, what happened is they switched contractors in the middle of them. Nice. And one of them didn't realize that they'd already put a, a, a box there and they added a wall that somebody wanted. And there's it's buried back behind a wall <laughs> and we had to give them a very large estimate in order <laughs> to, to fix what needed to, uh, uh, to be fixed. So that, that it was just a huge hangup for me and took me out of it. This switch exists down there and they're using it and everybody's just fine. It's not, not an issue. Because we've established that dude was there for four years. Um, I will say that uh, my knowledge of Asia and Asian culture um, it is probably there because war-torn areas. There are a lot of, uh, it's more of a bomb shelter type of thing than a mm -hmm. sub-basement, but people don't call them that. Right. Because just it just sounds creepy. So it's possible, I don't remember if it was stated distinctly or not, it's possible that they knew that it was there and just paid it no mind. Now, she specifically says they, they didn't know it because the former housekeeper said so the, the architect that built the house had it put in and then it wasn't disclosed. That's right. I remember that. And then she found it. But That's why she knew about it. It's because... not that uncommon for it to have been there, mm -hmm. for it to be around. Now, as far as like the switchy thing and stuff like that, I don't know about that kind of I, stuff. Not an electrician. A, I had a hard time buying that it hadn't been discovered during that amount of time. I could even sort of believe, okay, especially if you have somebody like her who's maybe actively hiding it. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm like, okay, so I can believe that they didn't notice it was there. But at some point in time, somebody's going to have to get something fixed. I mean, hell, a light bulb's going to go out. Something happens. That's Trust me, I've been in a million situations because they called, and they're like, the switch doesn't work, and then you uncover this huge problem. I, it's that, I always call it the, the Chip and Joanna moment, you know, oh. where you have, to give, you have to give them that phone yeah. call. And I mean, I had one with a mutual friend where they asked me to come over uh, and look at a problem as uh, a favor, which I did, but... They had an outlet that wasn't working. And when we, I discovered what the problem was and what it was going to take to fix it, the solution to it was to take that outlet out and cover up the hole in the wall because it was a situation where the house had been altered and added on. And the power to that outlet went through several rows of lights. Huh. And yeah, no, it was a weird situation. But they actually literally added on a section of the ceiling and put in recessed lighting. Well, they tagged on the power for this outlet. So it looked to me like what had happened is there used to be power run from another area. And then when they did, then they brought the power off of these lights and they did it in a way that, that should not have been, 
had, had been done. So then when another string of lights was then added on onto this, uh, you know, on the end of it, now you've got this weird outlets that is being uh, powered in the middle of it. And the only way to get the power that they, we needed there, because the problem was, is they were, they were overloading it because they had all these lights on a circuit, they were mm-hmm. plugging a bunch of shit into it. And the outlet quit working. Well, when you look at the load that was on it, you're like, well, you can't afford to put anything on this. I'm like, well, what are we going to have to do to fix that? I'm like, well, you have to run a new line over here. And, you know, they'd already recessed the ceiling up to the point where you can't access it now. I'm like, there's no good way to get power here. You're, you know, what we'd have to do, you're looking at a a very large, sizable job. And... The list of things only an electrician would notice, folks. (laughs) And maybe that's the case. So like I said, I always have weird uh, individual little hangups. But for me, I'm like, I'm just not buying that it went that long, especially since the wife made a comment, oh, there's something, must be something faulty with that sensor. Let me tell you what wealthy people do when that happens. <laughs> well, that's wealthy American people. We don't know what wealthy Korean people do. I'm, I, well, that's true. I mean, I made pretty good money off of a doghouse that had a, a television set in it. That, that, that's excessive. Every time that they uh, changed the the news that the dog liked to watch. Oh, because ma- the dog had a channel he preferred? Yes. I would have to go out and reprogram the timers to make, because they only wanted the TV on during the programs the dog wanted to watch. Oh, yeah, because the dog had to watch its shows. Mm-hmm. The dog couldn't miss its yes. shows. Well, it was certain news segments. The dog only liked certain types of news. Oh, yeah, right. He had to keep up on, yes. like, business and lifestyle. So and, yeah. Every time that changed, I would go out and reprogram. Um, when he, yeah. you know, developed new interest and he wanted to, yes. you know. Watch the Wall Street segments mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You had to keep yes. up with his stocks. It, it was a two-story doghouse. Yeah. Um, but I made good money off of reprogramming. Well, there you go. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> now would typically be when I would dive into female factor, but this isn't really that kind of story. On top of that, there's really no way for me to do that segment on a foreign film because I don't know what feminism means in South Korea, and I never will, and I don't presume to force my opinions on anybody else. So instead, we are going to dive into foreign film factor. And you already touched on this. You are not a fan of a foreign film if it is subtitled, correct? Man, I hate to admit that because it, it's it's awful. But I think it's, it's, it's the same thing of like, you know that I can't actively read comic books. It is something about the cells and the combination of the still image and the words in the frame, it makes my head hurt. Believe me, I wish it were different. I have tried to read so many comic books and it just doesn't work out for me. And I think it's probably the same thing for a lot of people of having the image on the screen and having to read the words at the bottom. It's why a lot of deaf people don't watch a lot of TV. Well, and I, you know, I love other cultures and I love learning about other cultures. The w- one thing that, uh, you know, I did get out of this film is some of my own research into Korean culture afterwards that stemmed from questions I had about the movie. So, you know, it did lead to that, but I got to admit, it's hard for me to enjoy them as much when there's that much context that's missing, that much, uh, that kind of pulls me out of it because I'm not able to immerse as much because I, I don't speak Korean. Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wish I did, but I have no knack for languages whatsoever. I don't even speak English good. <laughs> My English ain't good. I have a very unique relationship with foreign films because I don't remember if I've ever said it on the pod before or not. I grew up in Southeast Asia. 
I moved to Thailand when I was four. We lived in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, off and on until I was like, and have uh, you like really grown up? Thirteen. I mean, <laughs> never. <laughs> you got older. Never. <laughs> I refuse to grow up. But anyhow, so I have been exposed to a lot of foreign film, foreign television. That being said majority of what i was exposed to did not come with subtitles when you're watching tv in mm -hmm. thailand they don't give you subs in english because <laughs> they assume that you speak thai because they're not presenting it to yeah. an american audience and so i have a nostalgia attached to asian cinema and i remember so many so many movie posters and things like that and there's a nuance to foreign film that i love and it takes me to a nostalgic place of because beyond not not speaking Korean and not understanding Korean culture because I don't live there and I am not a Korean person. Um, there is so much in the in-between culturally that people don't realize. Like I would imagine that there were plenty of people who saw this movie and didn't know it was supposed to be funny. Like Probably. didn't you just completely missed it because there's a there's a subtlety and a nuance to foreign humor that people don't realize that jokes land differently. Indian humor well, look how many people don't get British humor and we speak the right. same, la same language. It's Theoretically. <laughs> well, like, <sort> of. <laughs> in, in India, there's tons of TV in India that is in English because a lot of people speak English mm -hmm. and it was a British colony. And so we used to get, via satellite, we used to get uh, Star TV and it was I was out of India. Indian humor is the funniest thing in the world to me. It is the most slapstick, most like Three Stooges-esque. Yeah, and it's hilarious. And if you are watching it in, you know, Punjab or whatever... You're not going to get it. Not going to get it at all. And there's so many nuances to foreign films. But all of that long-winded excuse was to say, I ultimately don't like foreign films either <laughs> for the exact same reason. I want to see what is going on on the screen. I want to watch the work that the person put into their character and what they're bringing to life and the set dressings and the, you know, all of the things. And then I have to read the thing at the bottom and I read slowly because my, my eyeballs don't fuse the information together at the same speed. Mm -hmm. So I'm like 90% of the movie looking at the bottom of the screen. And it breaks my heart because what you said earlier, a dub is not the same. It's not. It's somebody else's voice. So you can look at the screen and you can know what's going on. And I, I want... I want so bad, like that part of me that wants to be like the art house hippie. I want so badly to love foreign films just to be <laughs> that bitch that's like, oh my God, I saw this Italian movie and it was amazing. But I'm not. I get, my eyeballs get <laughs> tired and I get aggravated. That's why I said, I just got to be honest about it. Because the truth is, I, I too want there to be more foreign films. I want there to be a much more a global system of people having their films and cultures presenting their things. I want it to not be so... Let's face it, Hollywood-centric. Yeah. I do, and I don't want Hollywood to go away, um, but at the same time, I recognize that I'm probably not going to watch most of those films that I want to exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you support them existing, but you, you're probably not going to be yeah, there. they're not going to be for me, and I'm probably not going to like them a whole lot, but I want them to be there. Agreed. Totally agreed. We are in the same thought on that. Yeah, well, there's the good, bad, and the ugly, but <laughs> I'd, I'd rather present it as it is. Which, like I said, interestingly enough, my review, I think, kind of mirrored the the quagmire that was this movie. Oh, quagmire is a good way to word this because it is, it it seems to me, a film of a subject matter that would be very divisive. That there would be plenty of people who would get caught in the quagmire and find it unpleasant. And then there are plenty of people 
who would hate it or love it because of all of the same reasons. I do like that they left it messy. That's part of my reason why I get hung up that everybody's making so many points out of this. Because to me, and this is just my opinion, it felt like the, the director at times made it intentionally murky. Yeah, because life's intentionally murky. Yeah, it wasn't cut and dried. Yeah. And and I like that. Like I said, just as simple as these were, he could have easily made these wealthy people be rich douchebags that you wanted bad mm-hmm. things to happen to. And they just kind of weren't. No, not at all. So, you know, I love those aspects of it where it just wasn't that that simple. Um, I, I do have to laugh, though. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, about not doing the female factor. And I'm like, could you do the slutty factor? Because, you know, the daughter, apparently... Yeah. I was real unclear, and it may have been stated, and I missed it, but I was real unclear how old she was and how old he was. They and said I was like, high school. I don't know if that has a different connotation. Yeah, it us. does. I don't know what the age group is. But I but don't, yeah, I it, don't know how old she was. It, it felt to me like you got college dudes macking on a high school girl. Yeah, it was, it was a little, it was a little rapey. And, and yeah. Yeah, it was a little, a little loud, especially how fast they went to like second session yeah. and they make an out. And I'm like, real quick. Okie dokie. So uh, maybe I missed a little something there uh, culturally, but... It, it and again, culturally, that could be very common, and who knows? Because let's face it, you know, it wasn't that long ago in our culture that those age, age gaps were normal. Well, and I mean, if you break it down, even if he is supposed to be a university student and he's 19 and she's 16, is anybody really going to bat an eye at three years? I mean, my wife and I are further apart than that. Yeah. Not, not by much, but a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, it's a little creepy, but yeah. Well... Let's uh, <laughs> let's just slide on over into the rec room. What uh, what you got to recommend for me, sir? Um, I got a good one and an interesting one. Ooh, he's got more than one, people. So it's a bit of a, a double recommendation because I, I want to tell you how I got there. Okay. So my son asked me to watch the uh, 2019 movie Midway. Midway. Yeah, it's about the Battle of Midway. It's got uh, Dennis Quaid, uh, Woody Harrelson. Dennis Quaid died. Patrick Wilson. No. Somebody's brother died, like a brother of a famous person. Maybe. No, this is Dennis Quaid. This isn't the Randy Quaid, the crazy brother. That's who died. It was Randy Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid used to be hot. Is he still hot? I mean, he plays a great older, uh, you know, gentleman in this one. Got that big old grin. Yeah, because he's uh, he he plays a great Halsey. That's who he is. uh, It does a fantastic. Patrick Wilson um, is in this. And so this kind of led a little bit of a journey. Now, I won't review the movie there. I'll say it's it's probably worth watching. Mm-hmm. But this is a historical movie. It's about the, the Battle of Midway. And it kind of rekindled something that had been in the back of my head for a while. Because one of the things I love to do is read. You know this about me. Yes. And my wife's not much of a reader, but she loves to find books for me. And she loves to find those books that are a little hard to get, hard to find, hard to come across that she mm-hmm. knows that I kind of like to to go for, but there's a part of me that doesn't like to to splurge all the time and go for those. So this rekindled my information. I had Because some of the way they presented this reminded me, I'm like, oh, this has to be based on the new information about you know, they came out in this book. And my wife's like, oh, do you not have that? And I'm like, no, I kind of want that book, but it's, it's hard to get. So that was my birthday present for this year. Nice. Was uh, this book. It's called And I Was There. Uh, and I'm guessing they were there. Well, the, the yeah, well, he, it's, it's mostly from the viewpoint of Edwin Layton, who is portrayed by Patrick Wilson in the movie. He is so a real person. Yes, yeah, so he's a real person. He was the intelligence officer. He was, um, how do you say this? He was attached the, the, to the uh, commander of the uh, Pacific Fleet. So he was basically their intelligence liaison. 
Okay. And he was... Uh, so guy knew some stuff. He did, and he was there during the attack on Pearl Harbor. He mm -hmm. was he reported directly to Admiral Kimmel, who was then summarily dismissed, and that's when they brought in Nimitz. Now, most people at the time thought that anybody that was in Pearl Harbor at the time was going to be summarily shipped out, but Nimitz didn't. He actually kept all of, uh, most of Kimmel's staff, including Edwin Layton, who was, like I said, basically, he wasn't really in charge of intelligence, but he was the person that spoke directly to the uh, commander of the Pacific Fleet, which you know, eventually then became Nimitz. And there's a lot of murkiness in the history that goes along around what happened. No, there. a lot of World War II history in general. There's some murkiness. Well, that one in particular, because, you know, there's the theory out there, what did Washington know? Did they let it happen? Did they cause it to happen? And there was a lot that was classified for a very long time. Mm, and Classified. Mm, it's redacted. It was very much murky of whose fault was Pearl Harbor. A lot was revolving around that. So for the longest time from a historical standpoint, there was a lot of conjecture just simply because the information wasn't available. So what happened is there were two... Uh, very astute historians who spent a long time studying this material who had basically been trying to get Edwin Layton to give his side of the story. But he would not violate his solemn oath as an intelligence officer to divulge anything until it was declassified. Ah. So finally uh, that happened and the guy was old. He was you know, like 80 when it finally got declassified enough that he was able to tell his version of the story. Of the day? Mm-hmm. Well, all of it, it covers... Or all of it. it. It covers pretty much the most of the Pacific uh, uh, actions in World War II, but it very greatly covers... It mostly focuses on the events of the attack on Pearl Harbor and then Midway. Mm -hmm. Those are the two things that it really focuses on. But it covers... By the way, this is a tome. This is not... It sounds like it. This is not a small book. This is not an easy-to-read book. And this is not a story. This is the, for the dedicated. The, the, this is a, a book covering the history. And by the way, the detail that they go into, it's not just, and this happened. It's here are the dispatches. Here's who said what. Here's what Jeez was covered Louise. when, on what date, and what time. It goes into immense detail and immense context. Now, it's kind of ghostwritten by these two historians, but they, they fess up at the end of it as to exactly what happened. But they also say that this was his voice. The other fun thing that they were able to do is by the time they were able to write this book, they were able to get the history from the Japanese side to oh, the point where they interviewed people so who were still history. alive, had been, and were able to get their documentation. So they're able to kind of juxtapose it with what the Japanese knew at the time and what was going on with them at the time. Uh, you know, so they were kind of able to put those pieces together. And if you like history and you like World War II history, this book is phenomenal. There is nothing to me that is more of a definitive work on Pearl Harbor and Midway than this book. So if you really want to take a deep dive into what happened there and what really went on and what led to those situations, this is the book for you. This is where you're going to find out everything you wanted to know and a whole lot more. <laughs> you so will be informed. So for me, this is fantastic because I love that deep dive. I really love going into it. Uh, it's actually led me to several other books now that I have to read and I'm in the middle of reading on the, the same topic and subjects. And man, this guy is, this guy's great. The stuff that he knew, the stuff that he was involved in and his perspective, it, it's fantastic. So if you really want to know what happened at Pearl Harbor and what led up to the attack, this is, this is it. You know what else I find interesting? What's that? How drastically different our recommendations are <laughs> and how we're still friends. Go for like, it. What you got? That's so funny. Like y'all Mama Ru is back for season 12 of RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> Um, now, is there an exciting 
am, am I correct in assuming that there's, there's a specific piece of information you're about to give me that yes. is important to you? We okay. are Springfield, Missouri I, natives. I think and I know where you're going. Springfield, Missouri's own Crystal Method is on season 12. And season 12 is well underway because we have been on hiatus for COVID-19 and we are down to the top four and we will be paused because they film a, they get to the top and then they have a finale that they film at a theater in LA and then that's all edited together and nobody knows who wins until the finale airs, including the participants. They right. film several renditions where everybody wins. They'll put it to a top two and oh, then okay. they'll film it as you win and then they'll film it as you win and then they'll film it as you both win and then whichever one airs is whoever mama decides wins. Oh, uh, that's interesting. And so we have established the top four and Miss Crystal Method is part of the top four. Oh, that's exciting. So... She does have a chance to win. I am here for it. I am not a fan of reality TV at all, but I do like competitions, so to speak. Really, RuPaul's Drag Race is the only one I watch because it delights me um, at a baser level, and I love it. But I love that you went with like this World War II historical <laughs> tone, and I'm over here like, you better work, bitch. Yas, Aragonza, extravaganza, sis. And yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to tie them together. Okay. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk okay. and tie these Tell together me. because mine is from my just general nature where I love to educate myself on topics. So I want you to educate me on something that you just said. Okay. But you, as you're referring to Crystal Method, I notice you constantly refer to her as she. You refer, unless a person directs you otherwise, refer to a person as how they are presenting to you. If okay. Crystal comes up to me, boy, I would use a male pronoun. If Crystal comes up to me in full regalia, I will use a female pronoun unless she directs me otherwise. So, boy Rue comes up to me, I'm going to say yes sir, no sir. Rue in full regalia comes up to me, yes ma'am, no ma'am. Okay. Or a person can say, I prefer they, them, what have you. However, a person, just be respectful. If somebody right. comes up to you in a dress. I think that's a general rule yeah. in life. but And people overcomplicate it and they freak out. Or, or. If somebody has a pronoun hang up, ask them beforehand. Nobody's going to be offended. If you're like, hey, what's your preferred pronoun? Mm -hmm. They will tell you and they will respect you for respecting them enough to ask first. Oh, absolutely. And I realize there's respectful ways to try to, to get in there. Um, but, you know, that that's what's the right way to say this. That world is more familiar to you than it is Correct. Uh, to me. And I mean, not for any particular reason other than that's just sometimes how life goes. Because, uh, you know, I have a, a friend who has been transitioning mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it it's I'd say it's it's complicated. I know it's way more complicated for my friend than it is for me. Yeah. And pronouns are hard. You there's something mm -hmm. you don't think about. You file them away as like I met you as Rich Southard. He him. Mm -hmm. And that's how you file it away. And I will never again think about it when I am talking to you. You're filed away in my brain as he, him. And if right. you were to tell me a change in pronouns, it's going to take me a while to get used to that because well, I have to think about yeah, it again. And that's very much the situation. I compared it to that person that you grew up with uh, who got married and then changed their name. Yeah. And you still refer to them as their maiden name. I will name. never remember my yeah. sister's married name ever. This is somebody who I knew for, gosh, probably 15 years uh, before they transitioned. So it was not easy for me to just suddenly start using a different name and a different pronoun. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not that I had a problem with it. It's just my brain, you know, said he for 15 years. So it was difficult for me to suddenly just start saying she without making a lot of effort to do yeah. it. Now, once again, I realize that my effort is minimal compared to what my friend has been going through. Of course. Um, 
but at the same time, it, it, sometimes I, I have to ask those questions because I don't know what's the, what's the etiquette, what's the, the proper way to do this. Um, because I, you know, I, I know several other people who, uh, either have transitioned or because what you're referring to is something different. Right. Drag is, uh, it's performance art. So it's an art piece in the costume of another gender and it's completely different from somebody being transgender in which they wish to transition to another gender. Now, once again, uh, in the vein of education, how much intersection is there between those two things? Not a lot. I mean, those worlds do collide. It's part of the queer world and there's always going to be some collision there because queer world's smaller than the straight world. But um, the majority of drag queens are not trans women. They are men who perform their art dressed as women. And they are, you know, proud to be men and they are, you know, of, you know, they're proud of their masculinity and their femininity and all of that. But it's something very different than feeling like you were born in the wrong body. That makes, I mean, that makes sense the way that you're presenting that. It, it really does. I, you know, I often wonder that and I'm, I'm certain that there's no simple answer. Oh, I'm sure. Because, uh, you know, for me, even listening to you say things there, uh, you know, the amount of. Uh, I guess you could say gender bias that's in even all mm -hmm. of our, our well, and that just covers genders in the binary because mm -hmm. there are people who exist outside of the binary and who don't identify with either gender. And that adds another dimension to it and pronouns and lack thereof and how, you know, you present to the world and the complications of, you know, potentially being a drag queen and, and so on and so forth. So it is a very it can be something that's very scary when it's unfamiliar to people. But I think simply the fact that you wanted to ask that question about pronouns is a huge step in the right direction because wanting to know the right way to address someone is the basic respect that everybody deserves and not everybody gets. And so everybody getting that basic, excuse me, everybody getting that basic respect is a step in the right direction. Well, I, like I said, and you know, we're using this in a very specific context, but I mean, really shouldn't you just, have that desire with everybody you think yeah I, I and i know that that's definitely not the case whether we're talking about the queer world or the straight world <laughs> to, to be fair there but you know i do because that's not a world that i've i've you know i'm 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 the i'm the straight white male yeah <laughs> you know you're who uh, the world is built for i, I I'm, I'm that guy i am and you know so it, it's easy for me to uh it, it's easy for me to be comfortable there yeah but at the same time, you know, the way I try to approach these situations in general is I want to know people. You yeah, because that's know, what's worth knowing. Like, as way I may have asked you the question about the etiquette for that community, but as a general rule, honestly, the truth is I, I could care less about some of that. I, I want to know people. Now, mm -hmm. if that person is queer, if that person is transgendered, um, you know, I, I, I want to know those things because I want to know that person. It's part of who they are. It's, it's part of who they are. I don't want to judge them on it, but I also, you know, I, I want that to be, honestly, the, you tend, if you look at the people that I am friends with and the people I tend to associate with, I tend to, uh, it's the people who are honest with who they are. Mm -hmm. um, I have much more respect for that than I do people who are dishonest about it, which I think a lot of people are even when they don't know that they're they're doing it. Oh, I think for the majority of people, they don't know that they're doing it. You know, I know we have the trope of the, uh, you know, the, the conservative person who is very anti-gay that turns out to be gay. You yeah. know? I mean, I know that, that that thing exists, but I, I also feel that there's a lot of people who 
really kind of go out of their way to not try and understand things or accept. Yeah. It's just, well, it's just easier. That's not part of my existence. So I don't need to understand it. And you're just being a sissy and you're making it more difficult than it is and acting like it's something when that person can't understand when everything about your existence and your upbringing has told you that you're not valid, what that does to you. Well, and you know, I like here I am over here. I am the last person that has any part of this conversation as a greater, not just between you and me, but right. on, on these, I, I'm, I, you know, what, why my voice shouldn't really matter here very much because I'm not a part of that community at all. But at the same time, these are conversations I want to have because I want to try to understand. So, you know, sometimes I'm in that awkward position of trying to get in those conversations when I'm the last person that needs to be yeah. in those um, in conversations. What was it? Um, I, I doubt we'll review this movie, but we watched the uh, uh, Jane Silent Bob reboot. Oh, I forgot that existed. Yeah. Oh, good um, old Jane Silent Bob. There's some interesting meta stuff in there. This is like meta on top of meta. Oh, um, that's what he's known for. But in the yeah, in in the movie there, uh, they have like a new new movie coming out of Chasing Amy, but the um, oh, what's the actress's name that was in the Joey Lauren Adams? Yes. So she's in it. So she's like producing the movie now it's like all her thing and they show the scene with her and ben affleck and he's completely out of it and he made some comment about that how that should be and she's like yeah you mean that movie should be made by anybody other than a straight white male <laughs> and you know and i'm laughing at it because it's a super yeah. it's a super meta uh argument and i get that as being the straight white male i get the i'm like well you guys should be the ones having this conversation tell the story but at the same time there there's very much a part of me that's like uh, huh. i I, I want to talk too. Is it okay? <laughs> can I, can I, can I be there? Is it all right? Um, you know, so I, I get it. It's a, it's a weird position to be in. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I recognize that it's the way my position is the way easier one. So, yeah, so, it is. uh, but I mean, I, here we are, <laughs> here we are. And I'm trying to come up with a clever segue back to the Korean language film that we started with and, and I'm coming up with nothing. So how about we just say bye everybody. Thanks for listening. Well, you know, that's not entirely true, though, because uh, you're looking at foreign language films that we don't have context for. And in many ways, that's just what we're talking about. Very true. See, find common ground with everybody. If the Kims and the Parks had found common ground and been honest, then maybe everyone would still be alive. <laughs> in a very weird, dark way. But go watch the film. Re regardless of my C, get out there and watch the film. Because it'll make you think. Yeah, it'll make you think. And you should have an opinion, too. Yes. All right, everybody. See you next time. We out.